since we crawled out of the slime Or were made people by a divine Before the Irish made Irish stew We've had to watch out for the people who So I don't think anyone listening to this podcast needs me to tell them. But yeah, there's an election going on right now. And we may not know who wins this thing for a few weeks, maybe a little bit longer. Let's hope it doesn't come down to that. But hey, you know what? If this gets more life out of this podcast, then, you know, so be it. And again, as I mentioned, I'm pretty shameless in my promotion of this podcast. And so I've decided to put together an election special. Decided to focus on my favorite political songwriting and what makes a great political song. And as I made pretty clear in the last episode of Four Songs, my favorite band of all time is The Clash. They are the most overtly political band that I can think of. I'm certain there may be one or two more, but for whatever reason, The Clash is what resonated with me. So I got to thinking about what makes a great political song. I've got my favorite, certainly. But what is it about those songs themselves that speak to me? So when I think about it, what makes a great political song is a song that makes you think. It makes you question what you believe in. It might even change your mind. It may even change your life. It's hard to say and it's hard to pull off, but a great song can do that, as we've talked about on this podcast. And to do that, in my opinion, the song has to be relatable because if you're taking on a controversial topic that you might lose some people in, in singing about and writing about, you've got to try and do so in a way that brings everyone on board. I mean, again, you may not change everyone's minds, but you don't want to keep them out. You've also got to make it timeless. It's got to make sense now, a year from now, and 20 years from now. And yeah, that's hard to do. But again, the best ones can do it. And for this episode of Four Songs, I get to talk about four great political songs. And as you may have imagined, this one's a bit different than the others because I'm talking to four people, not just one. And I'm really excited about it. I'm bringing back three guests who've been here before. Scott Miller, who started this whole thing off back in May. Thrilled to welcome him back. Yasmin Williams, who I featured back in July. She's the brilliant acoustic guitar player who makes the guitar sound like really unlike anything I've ever heard before. And Mark Anderson, who we just featured on our last episode. Mark gives us some insight into an unheralded Clash song called Three Card Trick from an oft-forgotten album that we discussed last time. And for the first time, we're bringing on Emily Barker, an Australian-born, UK-based singer-songwriter to talk about one of her songs called Machine. And I'm really thrilled to welcome Emily because we're actually going to be featuring her on our next episode, which will be coming out in, you know, a week or so. We'll see. So the order of appearance for this episode will be Emily Barker, Mark Anderson, Yasmin Williams, and Scott Miller. So rather than hear me drone on and on and on, let's get right to it. Let's bring Emily Barker to talk about her song called Machine. the world a place easier for me money in my pockets over centuries i'm a celebrated sinner with statues in the park this world i made is harder the more your skin is dark so for those people who haven't heard machine machine is is about structural racism and I've it's something that I've written about before on an album called Deer River which I released in 2013 but was you know writing 
two years before that and that um it's an album essentially about home but in it i look at being a non-indigenous australian and accepting the fact that i live on stolen land and that that has barely been acknowledged in australian colonial history and and i studied indigenous studies at university and it it was so enlightening it felt like it's the best education i i ever had was learning the true history of colonization in australia which sadly wasn't ever taught in schools and i thought as well as it being incredibly informative and life-changing actually i i also felt saddened that it, i had to go to university to learn that so it's something it's a topic that i have written about before and i started writing machine a few years ago or yeah it would be about three years ago that i wrote it or maybe two, anyway and i was touring a lot in the states and and understanding you know the racial lines of socio-economic areas and and i was in a in a place i was in charleston actually and i was running around the harbor and i saw this slave slave owner um statue like a huge statue celebrating him and and i was reminded again of of being growing up in australia and they're the same sorts of statues that you see in the parks there so just realizing how affluent some areas of charleston were and then and then how very much not other other areas were and how that played out along racial lines and and i realized that i you know there's the same story of empire throughout the world where certain people have oppressed others for their own gain and what was that i what got me onto oh there was a there's a brilliant film director called ava duvernay and she she made a film called 13th which is all about the 13th amendment and essentially that's what machine is about and it's inspired by that that film covered all my tracks and books on history justified my actions through anthropology i chose what to remember and what we should forget i covered all my tracks in your blood and sweat this machine runs on its I just I got back I not got back but um just started thinking about all of all of that again but rather than in Australia I wanted to delve into the history of America and Britain more a great book called The History of White White People by Nell Irvin and and another podcast called Seeing White um okay. anyway so all this information when one one resource led me to the other and I felt that initially I wasn't a hundred percent sure if writing a song um, is written from the point of view of a you know, sort of the the patriarch, I guess, and right. and the oppressor, and and I wasn't sure if that connected to all these other themes of environment that um, that I was mostly writing about, but I realised that they're absolutely connected because you know it's the same system that also oppresses the environment it's the same attitude that and also that um, people of color black people are far more likely to experience be the first to experience um the fallout of climate crisis um throughout the world but also in you know in western 
places as well. So, right. so they're very, very much interlinked. What was it like to put yourself in that the first person for this song? I mean, because not you personally, but you know, you're, you're yeah, from yeah. that from that perspective. Yeah, no, it was interesting. I mean, it was it felt like the right perspective to choose because because you know I am white and also here like listening to all the these podcasts and the information it felt it it just felt like that would be the best way that I could get the message across I suppose since 1865 everyone is free but I still get my labor complimentary I felt there's a question that I asked myself when I was writing songs about Indigenous Australian history, and I, and I answered it thinking that the majority of the people who listen to my music are white, and it's a conversation that I want to have with other white people. You know, I don't I don't need to tell Indigenous Australian people the history of their country. <laughs> They know, they know very, very well, too well, and so it's a. But it's a, something that has been missing from the non-indigenous historical narrative is is this honest conversation about what happened. So I feel like okay, I need I need to be a part of that. I need to be having these conversations, and they're challenging conversations sometimes to have, you know, with people who are maybe part of your family or you know really good friends that just have a very different. Well, they have. They think that they that they might know, you know, what happened, but they haven't been presented with an alternative. And right. yeah, so I feel like it's important to step forward and yeah. and talk about these things. Yeah, and I, I think even if we of... get it wrong, and you know, and and you know, if me getting it wrong, you know, moves the conversation forward in some way by us learning that that maybe I shouldn't have said something in that way, then I, I know myself that my intention is from the right place and, and you know, we can, we can learn from mistakes that we make and, and that would, ad, you know, advance our relationships. Yeah, because I think that was, man, I didn't maybe ask my question very artfully because I, I think it's such a, at least here, I don't know what it's like in the UK, just everything everyone does and says oh god you're taking a side you're taking a side like you know i'm just trying to yeah. tell you what's going on and yeah, maybe that was yeah. a better way to ask that question is did you feel like okay i'm putting this out there and this is what i want to say so mm. and it's because i mean even people put out yard signs in the states for their candidates and people steal them <laughs> it's just like yeah yeah i did also with machine i checked in with a um a black singer singer writer friend of mine as well and i said can you just check me here? Am I saying anything out of line? This is my, you know, this is, she knew my intention and, and we spoke about, you know, what we, what I've been learning about and stuff. And, and, and she was like, I'm really happy this song exists. And, and so, it was, so that, that was also, you know, a good thing to do. We, she's very upfront about, about any issues. So 
has appeared It keeps me up at night There are whispers, there are shouts And I fear the wolf will bite I've been a bully and a sinner Now I'm on the way out For the world I made is harder The more your skin is And, and one thing I like in, in the chorus is you add the, the, the guitar the kind of a crunching oh, yeah, yeah. Burn guitar. So I, I mean, cause that's gets back to the whole, the machine, I think, cause that's where you kind of break it down. Is that the right interpretation? Cause you kind of have the chorus and then behind that is that sounds like almost like a drill or like a saw or something. Yeah. Yeah. It is just electric guitar really affected, but I, I, in my head it was like trying to break out of the machine. This like something that's like trapped and trying to, trying to break out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a wonderful song. It really does. It, I mean, I grew up here, so um, it's always good to get a new perspective. I mean, even though mm. we, you know, when you live in, I live in Virginia and you can't walk that far. Now it's a little harder because, well, not harder, but some of the statues are gone. <laughs> mm -hmm. And because they were taken down and they rightfully so. And mm -hmm. Uh, so it's it's good to just hear that perspective again, just as a reminder of even though I kind of live and breathe it here, it's not everyone does. And yeah, so yeah. Appreciate no, it's that. such an important conversation that's that's happening right. right now, and it's you know it's been a global a global conversation. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's really important and long overdue. So when I'm talking about timeless again and relevance, as I said, this song exemplifies that. And I want to thank Emily for joining me and we'll be featuring her again in a week or so. So stay tuned. This now seems like a good time to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by The Pug, a bar on 8th Street in Washington, D.C. When they are open, you got to go check them out. So from Emily Barker and the Civil War, we're going to go back even further in time to talk about the clash and the Industrial Revolution or what's left of it. As you recall from my last episode, when I spoke with activist and author Mark Anderson, the Clash's last album, Cut the Crap, it's not been well-received, and in fact, few people like to listen to it or talk about it a whole lot, but thanks to Mark's book called We Are the Clash, which chronicled the making of the last album, we got a chance to revisit it, and we find out that, you know what, there are some really good songs on there. We talked about four of them on our last episode, but I wanted to save this conversation about Three Card Trick. This song just, I mean, I know I like to go on and on about music that I like and I probably over exaggerate and make things sound to be better than they might be. But Three Card Trick is just a brilliant song. As Mark will tell you, it ranks among Joe Strummer's finest lyrics. And musically it works too. And I think the music here is key. The music brings people in. This is where you know when I was talking about wanting the song to be universal and relatable, sometimes you do that through music. And I think on Three Card Trick that's what makes the song so so exquisite. But I do need to give you a little bit of background about Three Card Trick. There's a whole host of references to, like I said, the Industrial Revolution, 
to Christianity, to Hitler, and most importantly, to the demise of the industrial economy, particularly jobs like coal mining. And the song also makes reference to a familiar phrase that we've heard a few times this year called law and order. Now, law and order to the clash and to many people in the 80s and to many people now doesn't mean what law and order means to say the president or say those who use it to wield power. I mean, here's a song that was written 30 some odd years ago that is just as relevant now as it was back then. So here we go. Three card trick by the clash. Yeah, well, I wanted to go to three card trick because we're hearing about law and order so much. (laughs) (laughs) And this song is, you know, so many albums you could go back to and listen to, man, this fits perfectly right now. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you know, this is, this is a perfect uh, retort to Donald Trump's effort to talk about law and order. Basically, he is saying that for some people, certainly for Donald Trump, that's what law and order means. It doesn't mean that you're, you're preserving the peace so that everybody, you know, gets liberty and justice, basically. It's get in line, get with the program. We tell you what's happening. You don't fall in line. Okay, here comes the baton. Here comes the club, the club of the police. I've seen so many, I have seen too many critiques of the words to this. My God, such great words. You know, it's like um, the opening lines are patriots of the wasteland torching 200 years. Strummer's words, so great. Who are the patriots of the wasteland? Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher. They're talking about how they're going to make, this might sound familiar, for example, make America great again. It's talking about the Industrial Revolution, everything that came out of that, all the promises that were made to people who built their lives around these factories and these jobs, you know, these pensions that were supposed to be forever, you know? You know, these jobs, some of them are so hard. Coal mining is so hard. You use up your years doing that. Everybody... Everybody benefited from the the coal miners. Almost nobody went down in those horrible shafts in the ground. And, but what are they doing? It's like, fuck those bargains. Okay, back then you said, oh, sure, you could have the these pensions. Sure, you could have just job security. But you know what? We don't make enough money now, so see you later. And then the next line, opening lines, bring back crucifixion cry the moral death's head legion moral death's head legion you are evoking a nazi idea you are evoking the moral majority this fundamental right-wing christian thing and actually you are evoking the roman empire because legion that was their occupying forces their troops and then he ends it with using the nails manufactured by the slaves in Asia and how it all ties together. 
the econ international economic system working to the benefit of certain privileged elites in the West while everybody else is getting sacrificed on this, on this cross, if you will. And he's noting that, ironically, some of the biggest cheerleaders for this reality, for this innovation, are what? The alleged followers of this crucified revolutionary Jesus Christ. The lyrics are extraordinary, but the point is obvious. And he's speaking to the new generation, which is don't be fooled like the folks who came before. It is a three-card trick, like this famous Swindler's card game, Three Card Monty. And it, again, you can say, oh my gosh, it's so depressing. It's like we're, we're just being, we're going to be crushed. But then at the end of the song, he's saying, find the ace. we can have together to overcome the system, which after all was made by human beings mm -hmm. and thus can be unmade by human beings. So again, one of the greatest, not just greatest clash lyrics, but one of the greatest rock lyrics ever written, I would say. And the music is perfect to propel it. You know, I, I, I challenge anyone to really honestly listen to that song and not admit that it's one of the great songs the uh, Clash ever wrote. So folks, we're just getting started. We've got two more songs to go. And I want to thank Mark for that breakdown of, of Three Card Trick and again for his book called We Are the Clash, which put Cut the Crap back on my rotation. So now we're going to transition again and talk to Yasmin Williams. And it's a nice segue because of what Mark talked about, Three Card Trick's music being the one of the key factors in that song's success. As you recall, we spoke with Yasmin this summer about her music, and she is a brilliant, just an incredibly talented acoustic guitar player. She makes that acoustic guitar sound like nothing I've ever really heard before. And what's been really cool about doing this episode was it gave me a chance to catch up again with Yasmin. We had a nice conversation about this upcoming song of hers called After the Storm. This is a breathtaking song. You know, it, it's, it's Yasmin, true to the core. She doesn't use words. She uses music and she uses form to bring about an emotion it's hard to replicate. And I don't really know how she does it, but I'm so glad she is able to do it. And I'm so glad that she shared the song with me because it's not out yet. It's going to be on her, on her album that's coming out in a few weeks, in a few months. This song has been released in snippets here and there on the radio and on her Instagram account. But I'm one of the first people who's actually had a chance to listen to it. And I just am so appreciative that Yasmin shared this with me. And so we're going to share part of it with you. So let's bring back Yasmin Williams to discuss After the Storm.
Welcome back, Yasmin. Good to see you again. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. Just what have you been up to since we last spoke in the summer? Yeah, so I've had a few outdoor shows, one with the Creative Cauldron Summer Series and one at Sky Stage in Frederick, Maryland. Those were really fun. It's nice to get outdoors again, finally, after like (laughs) half a year, I think. Yeah, just still live streaming. That seems to be the main thing still these days, Mm. which is still fun. Well, today we're going to be talking about your song, After the Storm, the going to fit into the political uh, theme of this episode. Before we get there, though, I just wanted to ask, from your perspective, what what about political music has inspired you? Or is there any particular artist or song that has pushed you to want to get into the more political side of things? I mean, I definitely appreciate um, some political artists. My favorite probably being Nina Simone. Um, mm. Most, if not her entire catalog is <laughs> political. And it's just pretty inspiring. Her whole life is inspiring, but her music especially. But I don't really consider myself a political artist. I guess it's just, it's kind of hard to not be in this day and age. Now, obviously, as an instrumentalist, it uh, Mm -hmm. adds a bit more abstraction to it. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So, after the storm, so when did the song come out? Um, It comes out next year. I guess it's when my early next year is probably when the album's going to be released. I've it's been played on a few like radio stations and um, you have it now, but yeah, it officially comes out next year. So <laughs> okay, yeah, well, I get a little preview on this episode. Yeah, cool. I started writing it late twenty nineteen, like maybe November ish, and I finished. I guess maybe just the main melody of that, but I couldn't finish the song. Like, I was having a really hard time finishing the song. And a lot of people kept asking me about it, like, oh, what was that one song you posted on your Instagram? It was like a short clip. And like, even six months later, it still wasn't finished. But um, this year, definitely, I don't know what it was about this year. Maybe everything that happened, um, especially the George Floyd case and Ahmaud Arbery case and all of that is when I really kind of started to go back to the song and felt like I needed to finish it. I'm not particularly sure why that song but who knows how that works. But that's the one that kind of called out to be finished. I mean, what I like about it, it's a beautiful song. And the way Thank it you. begins, it's almost, I was kind of going through different analogies. It almost feels like, I don't know, like a TikTok, like a, so a new day. Like yeah. Awakening. Yeah, that's pretty also kind of, That was actually the last part to be finished. And I was okay. kind of going for like a, kind of like a heartbeat kind of clock type of thing.
Now, did you do that with any new techniques? Uh, like the harm, I know you have the harmonics, but it was that song is probably, I think, yeah, it is the first song I actually wrote with a looper pedal. So I play all of the parts, I can play all of the parts myself simultaneously, mm -hmm. which is cool for live performance. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's probably like, I guess, a new technique in that one. Yeah, because it just, I love how it starts and it kind of builds up just very slightly and and then it picks up a bit, but it, mm -hmm. it's not the fast. It hasn't been doing this picking. I think we've, we've heard right. in the past. <laughs> but it, right, it it's definitely not. Introspective. Was that by design? Yeah, yeah, it was. It's, I guess, just a way for me. It started out originally when I first started writing in 2019. It was originally a way for me to process the 2016 election. Kind of really delayed processing, but uh, yeah, that's how that started out. But I guess I finished it this year to process everything that happened this year and what could happen. <laughs> yeah, like especially the way it, the bridge too, it just sort of kind of goes up and down the scale. It's yeah. It's almost like you are trying to climb a little bit or maybe not Yeah, climbing. I wanted parts of it to be hopeful or, well, basically I wanted the song to be hopeful, but I did also want to kind of portray reality. And so what I like about it, I mean, it, it does evoke these emotions without any words. And mm -hmm. how do you, because I know you have the one song, Take That Step with the lyrics, but most of all of your music is instrumental. So mm -hmm. how do you evoke those emotions with, without words? That's such a powerful tool. That's the question of the century. Um, <laughs> I really don't know. I, I guess the way I think of it is just form. Most of the time I don't really have like a set melody or a set harmony or anything in the song but i do have kind of a form of how i want the song to go or like a like i want it to rise here and kind of fall after that or you know kind of a vague form so mm. for this one especially since i wrote it with a looper pedal um it was kind of easier to get to get the song to kind of rise in certain places like the climax um and right. kind of fall at the end and have the beginning start out kind of sparse and build texture over time yeah because I mean, it, to me, like I said, it just the thoughts that just come into my mind, it, it's so relatable. And so, I'm really happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's fantastic. It's a beautiful song. So, thank you. So, thanks again to Yasmin for sharing with us that wonderful song. As you can tell, I didn't quite know it was an exclusive until we were conducting the interview. So, I was a nice surprise, and I hope that you all enjoyed it. So, wrapping up this show, we're going to bring back our first guest ever on Four Songs, Scott Miller. Scott's going to be talking about one of my favorite political songs of all time, his song called The People Rule. You know, I've used cliches like checks all the boxes and resonates and all that, but 
I just love this song. I can't really say it any better than that. He wrote it several years ago, back in 2007-ish time frame in response to a different president and a different crisis that was about to occur. But the song takes us even further back. We go back to the beginning of time. And one thing Scott does so well in his music is he uses humor. And that's what, to me, that's what makes songs like this so relatable and so important. And another key to it, it's probably the only political song, at least within the past 20 or 30 years, that has a kazoo in it. So for Scott, the people rule is a little bit different. It's a little out of the norm for him. But what's even better about it is the story he tells at the very end of this episode. So I let Scott go a little long because, hey, he was my first guest and he's a good friend and I owe him a great deal of gratitude for even doing this to begin with when I first started this podcast. The story he tells at the end about how this song, of all songs that he's written, this song changed his life. And it's a story that only he can tell. So let's bring back Scott Miller to round us out today. Ever since we Hey, man, it's great. Thanks for having me back again. Yeah, greatly appreciate it. Just to catch up real quick, what have you been up to the last few months since you were last on? No shows, obviously. I've canceled all my indoor shows because I have enough to answer for when I meet my maker. I'm not going to be responsible for spreading this virus. And farming hard, you know, I got the cattle farm, so. Understood. And then writing? I have been writing. Yeah, actually, that's that's uh, I don't know why, you know, I go so long between albums and, and I have found it sort of a chore, but I have I've been writing and, and actually like what I've written. So who knows? Yeah, great. Well, whenever you're ready to talk about your new material, we'll have you back. I'd love to have to do that. I'd but, appreciate that. So appreciate this is a special episode of Four Songs where we're talking about political music. Scott's got one of my favorite song called People Rule, which came out about a decade ago. It's more, actually. It's hard to believe. But yeah. what, I, what I love about this, and we'll talk about this, is the timeliness and relatability of great political music, music in general. But I think that's what makes People Rule stand out to me, is that no matter where you are or what, when you're listening to it, it, it relate. It, you can relate to it, and it makes sense. So just... Before you start talking about the song in particular, just what do you look for when you're sitting to write a political song or just generally, I know you talked the last time you were on about timeliness or timelessness, maybe is the Time, better yeah. word. Just when you're setting out to write a song like this, what's your goal? I really wasn't setting out to write a song like that. I think there's a Pete Seeger quote that I've always loved where and I don't remember if this is on a record or one time where I saw him where he was talking about politics, and I'm going to do my Pete Seeger impression for you, so prepare yourself. But he was like, even if you get people together to drink beer and watch football, you're affecting the body politic. I think everything is political, and everything I write is. But, you know, I try to come at things from not a left or right thing. I, I usually, if I have to choose sides, I choose uh, poor versus rich, you know, which will be universal and timeless in that fashion. But this song, particularly, I wasn't sit setting out to write one. I had, I had a writing space. I was in Knoxville. I had seen a press conference with George W., 
bush from the Rose Garden uh, where they were touting how there was more home ownership, a greater percentage of home ownership in America than there ever had been. And I was screaming at the TV like, that is because they are loaning money like crazy where they shouldn't be loaning money, which eventually you know, led to the, the crash in 2008 and everything. I wish I, I knew what to do with that knowledge because I saw it coming. But anyway, I, I, this song wasn't, it wasn't really edited. Like, you know, if we've talked before, I spend so much time on, on the writing, on editing, going back over and over in, in economy of words and in, in simplifying things down. This song just, I just started writing it. It's like it does go from a point A to a point B, like I like songs to do. But I just wrote it, even to the punchline. It just <laughs> was there. Wow. I mean, you're one of the best at it. So let's uh, get to People Rule, which, as I mentioned earlier, this is one of my favorites. I always put this up there around this time of year because it's just so relatable and, and time, I feel like I get that word right, timeless. There you go. Because of what it gets to at the very end, because it starts out, you were talking about world history, and the song kind of begins at the beginning of time. Yeah. And I think that's where you start out just making this something that anyone can agree with is because you don't even you start out just saying whether you believe or from the divine or crawl from the slot. So it's just I love that opening line right there. Ever since we crawled out of the slime or were made people by a divine before the Irish made Irish stew. We've had to watch out for the people who rule. You know, I was playing, um, I'll tell you this story real quick, just I was playing with Patty Griffin a couple of years ago, a year ago maybe, I don't know, we're playing in Charlotte, North Carolina, it was this beautiful venue, it was like a community center, but it used to be an old church and still had the big stained glass windows, and I did this song. I rarely do this song really live, but I did this song, and uh, when I started that line, I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool if, if they could light up the big uh, stained glass Jesus there when I did that? And the lighting guy did it. I don't know. It was just a moment. You had to be there. <laughs> but it was awesome. Ever since we crawled out of slime or were made people by the divine, yeah. this big, <laughs> these big things turned on. And then I was like, okay, you can turn it off now. Jesus doesn't want to hear the rest of this song. <laughs> well, you never know because it's a, it's a parable. Because I, I, what I love about it is that you, you build it up with talking about throughout history that the leaders, whether it's Napoleon or Yul Brenner. <laughs> yeah. Presidents, kings, czars, and potentates Ivan the Terrible and Catherine the Great Napoleon, Gingus, Ramses one and two We always remember the people who rule How many songs get to drop Thomas Hobbes in there? There you go. Yeah, and that's where I feel like it really takes the turn, where it's, you're talking about, you know, we always remember those who roll, we've got to be a little wary of them, because life is brutish and short. Yeah. The history of mankind is brutish and short, but evident truth 
should stand up in court. Whether your state or commonwealth is red or it's blue, always be wary of the people who rule. And it gives kind of people hope that someday the meek will be the ones in charge. And everyone, at least when you do this live, it, it really comes through because people who may have heard it before kind of stop and they chuckle like, and they clap sometimes and, and then you lower the boom. It's just my opinion, but for what it's worth, someday the meek shall inherit the earth. Then we'll have to worry about the meek too. There's something with power and those people who rule. <laughs> We're gonna have to worry about them too. Um, populism yeah. is just a a, a a nasty force as as totalitarianism it can be. You know, a mob mentality is just as dangerous. And I think that's what I love about one of the things I love about our constitution. I mean, maybe you know our form of government is not the most efficient in the world, and maybe a parliamentary system is better, but. Our Constitution takes every angle into account. Everything that could go wrong is they try to block it. You know, they try to head it off, whether it's rich people or whether it's and they still get a they still get a, a voice because we know there's going to be rich landowners and they're going to have to have a say or whether it's like a mob mentality in, in the, the populace. If they, if they can get just as out of control and they need to be blocked, too. So it's such a such a great document as far as human nature, I think, and power, and and I'm 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 Scotch Irish, and there was a book I read. Oh God, who wrote that book? It's called Born to Fight, and oh, the author escapes me right now. He's a he's a senator, or he was, um, and he used to be secretary. Oh, of the yeah, Day. I know you're talking about. It. It's blanking on me too. But I... You know who I'm talking about. I do. Anyway, We'll, we'll think of it in a second, or yeah. somebody can, somebody will type it in the comments. But you know, one of the things I got out of that book was like my knee-jerk reaction to rich people and authority is totally Scotch Irish. It's totally in my DNA. You know. Anyway, yeah. that's all I wanted to say there. How has this song? Because I know you didn't have it on any of your official recordings, but it's a single that you can we can get. And but I know you said this song has had some interesting effect on on your life. So uh, just, <laughs> you want to kind of talk about that a little bit? Just yeah, because uh, it's a great song and it's a great story, and it just makes sense since we're talking about this. Is this funny. goes along the lines of like you know I don't have kids, but all my songs are are sort of like my kids. You know, you don't ask which one which kid is your favorite. Uh, you know, you love them all individually, right? I love all my songs in individually or care for them individually. And just like children, it is usually the really dumb ones that end up making the most money. And uh, and I got a brother like that. So he, I wrote this song. Mick Harrison, who was in the V-Roys with me, uh, he was, we both had our, this was post-V-Roys, we, we both had our own bands. And we would get together and, 
go to each other's writing space sometime, you know, during the week and be like, hey, what'd you do this week? Play it for me. And, and, and we still do that to this day. Uh, he came over and I was like, hey, I got this. And I played this song and, you know, we had a good chuckle over it. And we were like, you know, we should make a video for this song. So we, we were well into our cups at that point and uh, went into the alley behind the, the house I was renting and uh, in front of a dumpster and made this video for this song. And you can find it. And, you know, my joke was always, yeah, we put that on YouTube and went home and waited for the check. You know, because it was going to make us a bunch of money. I probably hadn't played the song in a while, hadn't thought about the song in a while, never put it on a record, like you say. Every once in a while, I pull it out. I was already moved back to Virginia. I was on the farm. I remember exactly where I was. I was up on top of Swope Hill working on some fence. My manager, a wonderful woman named Bev Paul, she, she called me and was like, I just got a call from a an advertising firm in New York City, a Madison Avenue advertising firm. This sounds legit. They found, do you have some song called The People Rule? I'm like, yeah, I do. Uh, it was a video Mick and I made, you know, however many years ago. She goes, well, they found this song on YouTube, and they w want to use it in a commercial. And I was like, well, okay. Is there going to be money? Are they going to pay me for this? And and she was like, oh, yeah. you're gonna. They're going to pay you. Uh, this is the big deal. And I was like, well, that'd be great. I didn't want to get too excited. And uh, I grew up in the Neil Young School, sponsored by nobody. I, I had sort of a, a moral quandary there. Of, of, but then, uh, you know, you can't cut neat integrity. So I was like, yeah, this sounds great. As with these things that happen, months go by. I don't hear anything. I'm not trying to get excited about it. In fact, thinking maybe it's gone away. When... Bev calls me back and says, they want to know if they can rewrite the lyrics to this song for their commercial. And I was like, uh, are they going to pay me? She goes, oh, yeah, they're still going to pay you. And I was like, well, that's fine. That's what we'll do. Let's, let's, let's. Yeah, sure, they can do that. So then another couple months go by. This, this whole process took a couple years, Rob. Then they call back, and she called back and goes, they want to know if they could fly you to Nashville to sing the rewritten lyrics of the song and record it for the commercial. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That's uh, I've got my, you know, I'm getting my money. I'm not going to do that. She goes, look, this is how much extra they pay you to do that. And I was like, well, that'd be fine. That's what we'll do. I'll, 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 I'll fly down there. So they flew me down to Nashville and I recorded this song and came back home. When Bev calls me back a third time and says, they want to know if they can fly you to New York for a camera test and uh, to to shoot the commercial of you singing the song with the rewritten lyrics. And I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. that. That's 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 too much. That's embarrassing. And, you know, I couldn't face my fans if I had to do that. And she goes, this is how much money you get if you do that. And I was like, that'd be fine. That's what we'll do. I'll come right down. <laughs> we flew to New York put me up in a damn nice hotel in Tribeca. I stayed there for like a week, 10 days with a car service and shot this commercial in a warehouse over in, in Williamsburg. You know, it was like, it was, it was an awesome experience. I tried to enjoy the experience unlike other, and, and, you know, knowing I was, we're talking an obscene amount of money. 
right? I mean, I, I was way in debt from my last record, and uh, I needed to buy a tremendous amount of cattle because I'd just taken over the cattle farm, and this was like couldn't have been better timing. It was for PayPal. Oh. It was for PayPal. They had decided they were going to use the phrase people rule, and when they Googled people rule, they found this video that Mick and I had made all those wow. years ago. Just like that. Wow. Just like complete freak of nature. Song never been registered, never recorded, never right. anything. And uh, that's how they found it. So all these gobs of money they were paying me, they were paying everybody else to do, and then I did it, and they never used my commercial. Right. But I got a lot of money, and I bought a lot of cows, and um, and that was the end of that. But yeah. funny how a song about that came full circle, ended up making me the most money of anything, and wow. uh, and there it is. What I tell you, what a great story to round this thing out. So I want to thank Scott, Yasmin, Mark, and Emily for joining me for this episode of Four Songs. I hope you enjoyed it. The point wasn't to get too preachy or too long. I know I went longer than usual, but you know it's the election and just gets me thinking about these kinds of things. So before I wrap up, there's one thing I do want you to do if you haven't already, and that's to go vote. Hopefully you voted early, or maybe you're making a plan to go vote safely and do what you got to do. But this is our one responsibility as citizens of this country or whatever country we're listening to this from. Do yourself a favor and do us a favor and vote. Thanks, and we'll see you soon.